Thanks for listening. Join us now for Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Moody Radio. Steve Norman of Winning at Home is a pastor. He's an award-winning author. He's a speaker and a coach. And today we get to talk to him about his book, The Preacher as Sermon, How Who You Are Shapes What They Hear. And I don't know if you know this, but October is Pastor Appreciation Month. So this book would be a tremendous gift to bless your pastor with this month. And there's a chapter in the book, um, Steve, about preacher as fellow sufferer. Tell us about that. Yeah, I think that sometimes we like to think that our our pastors or our clergy people walk six inches off the ground, that they're not affected by the issues that affect the rest of us. But uh, preachers and pastors and ministry people have their own issues that they're trying to navigate. Um, Pastors experience loneliness. They experience fatigue. They experience financial pressure. They experience family tragedies. Mm -hmm. And they don't always get a chance to take a break uh, especially if the size of the church or the demands of the church, sometimes they just they just have to keep trucking and preach through that. And that never came more real to me personally than Father's Day 2019. So my father had fallen ill in May for reasons that weren't entirely clear to our family. And he was in and out of the hospital and in and out of rehab. And it became clear to us at the beginning of June of that month that these were probably the last days mm-hmm. of my dad's life. And so I was doing ministry, speaking at a church in Holland where I was working and then I would kind of preach. And then after services, I would run, get in my car, drive over to suburban Chicago, about two and a half hours away. I'd spend the afternoon with my dad and then I would they'd come back. Hmm. And on this one particular day, it was, it was Father's Day and we knew we were going to, we knew that we were going to lose dad soon. And I was scheduled to preach on Father's Day. And I remember calling my wife, Kelly, from the green room, just bawling. And I was like, I don't like, I'm supposed to get up in five minutes. I don't think I can do it. Mm -hmm. And she's like, do I need to call a friend to come in and preach for you? And I was like, no, it's too late. I was like, I'll figure it out. But in that, in that moment, I realized that it was my responsibility to, to steward my pain as a gift for other people who were experiencing pain. Mm. And so when I preached and honored my dad and called other dads, to love their kids and to love Jesus even out of their own brokenness, that was, a, that, again, it was a gift mm-hmm. that I was able to give. And I think that people were able to to receive it because it was coming from a really raw and authentic place. And Perry, you talked before about making sure that that we as pastors are, are being vulnerable. There's a really fine line there because if we're not careful, we can use our we can use references to our personal lives as, as opportunities to manipulate or kind of steer a congregation, which we never want to do. But I'm realizing that, that I don't get to separate what's happening in my life from the message that I'm preaching. Cause we preach an embodied gospel. We preach an incarnate Christ um, who has physical wounds. And um, if Christ has experienced woundedness, we get to minister out of our woundedness as well. Did you, did you mention that when, when you were speaking that morning? I did. I did towards that. I, I wanted to, I had to place it carefully sure. because I didn't want to lose, you know, like I wanted, I knew I needed to get through the message. So it was probably in the last third that I said, Hey, um, I'm able to appreciate who my dad was because we're, we're getting ready to end his earthly chapter. Wow. Mm-hmm. And so I was just saying like my prayer for, for the rest, my prayer for me as a father is that I could end my journey the way that my dad did, making it all the way to, to 82. 
So whether we're preachers or not, we experience pain. And I think that sometimes there's a temptation based on your kind of personality or your theological tradition to be able to say, well, all pain is warfare and all pain needs to get fast forwarded through because God can only be glorified in a pain-free life. That's not true. And that's not the gospel. Right. And um, Jesus says, Paul says, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Yeah. And the power of his resurrection. A lot yeah. of us are like, I, okay, if I could skip the sufferings to get to the resurrection, that's what I would prefer. But but Paul Paul embraced suffering. Uh, he didn't seek it out, sure. but he he embraces suffering as worship and as service and as mission. And it's our job to make sure that we do that well too. And I think what you did and and what what that inspires me to do is is what you were doing that morning is boasting in your weakness. Yeah, and. You know, Paul says, when we boast in our weakness, Christ's power rests on us. And so when we open up like that, that's that's the channel for his power. Yeah. Well, thank you. Kick us off with talking a little bit about identity and why that's important for preachers. Sure. I think that a lot of times for preachers, the temptation is to find our identity in our giftedness. People say like, I'm a good preacher. I'm a good pastor. If my sermons are good, if I'm witty, if I'm smart, if people think I'm really theologically astute. And so a lot of times the temptation for the preacher is to say, well, if this many people raise their hands at an altar call or this many people walk the aisle or this many people said I did a good job uh, in the aisle on the way out, then that was then that was a good sermon. And then I and I have value. As a minister and as a servant of God. I just had a conversation with a young pastor who is preaching his first sermon at a new location. And I just said, how can I pray for you as you're getting ready for this Sunday? I'm so excited for you. And he said, pray that I don't, like, I'm really struggling with wanting to sound intelligent. Mm. And I'm wrestling with wanting to impress the people versus being obedient to what God has laid on my heart to share with them. And I was just like, you know what? Just the fact that that's your prayer request is encouraging to me because you're aware of it. Yeah. It shows that he's in a great place. Yeah. And one of the things I love about Jesus getting ready to start his ministry is before Jesus ever preached publicly, at least according to Matthew's gospel, he is affirmed publicly by the father. Mm. When he gets baptized by John the Baptist, the words that they hear from heaven is this is my son whom I love who I delight in, listen to him. And so before Jesus speaks a single word, his whole ministry foundation is the fact that he is loved, chosen, and delighted in by the Father. Yeah, and, you know, of course, this is so important for pastors. It's, and, you know, we're all, in a sense, a pastor. Sure. We're a pastor of our home. We're a pastor of our workplace. We're a pastor in our classroom. I believe, anyway, that, we have a leadership responsibility and a calling in a similar way to what a pastor does. And so this is translatable. Yeah. And so it's easy for me to find my identity, very easy for me to find my identity in what I do, you know, and I'm not a pastor, but, but we're all leaders. And uh, like, for example, I do Christian music and I can get my identity from, Oh, I want to watch how many streams I get on Spotify. Right. You know, and I'm, I'm checking Spotify all the time, you know, and hoping those numbers go up. Come on, come on, come on. That's where my identity is. And I have to, man, I have to reset from that identity mindset from my performance every single day. And so, yeah, talk to, you know, the pastor of, of the home, the pastor of the workplace, the pastor of the classroom, you know, cause we're all leaders. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think that's so clutch for us to be able to say, hey, I am loved by God and he's given me a gift to give. Mm -hmm. And I think that I was I was talking to a young preacher the other week and she was saying, like, my temptation is Mm -hmm. is to find my value and my affirmation from the congregation. And somebody wise once told me they just said, when you when you preach or when you serve or when you exercise any of your gifts, let your gift be a gift. Mm. Let your gift be a gift, because if you step into service, whether it's in your home or in the church and you need something from the person that you're serving, then now we've entered into a transaction rather than into a ministry. Yeah, that's really good. And it's not love. Right. You know, when I do that, we had Colton Dixon on the show. He's a he was on American Idol. He's a Christian artist. And he just said there was a time when he when he was getting started for a number of years you know, he felt like, you know, he was there for everybody else. You know, everybody's going to serve me. Yeah. You know, the celebrity mindset. Sure. And he said, I just realized, you know, God hit me upside the head. And he said, he realized God gave me this gift to serve people with my songs. Mm-hmm. That's right. And to move from, I think this celebrity mindset is just, it's infected every single one of us in some way, shape or form in the church. And just just to reset into my identity is in being Abba's beloved. So good. We talk a bit about. I know you've got a chapter in your book about the the preacher as as fellow journeyer. Yeah. Um. You know, I think oftentimes we want there to be a big gap between the pulpit and. The, you know, those of us who are listening. Yeah. Um, and yet we're all in this journey. Nobody's got it 100% figured out. Right, right. A few years ago, I had a chance to visit some cathedrals in New England. And if you if you go to churches that are like more than a couple hundred years old, you'll see that the pulpit is elevated. Like sometimes if you go yeah. to like European cathedrals, it'll be right. 15 feet off the ground. And a lot of that was because of acoustics, right? Like they didn't have the sound systems then that they have now. But I think that sometimes what that, crea- what that created, that physical distance created is that the preacher and the word stand above us. And obviously yeah. the word is above us, but the preacher... If the preacher is only ever above us, then we create distance between the preacher's life and our lives. And so I had somebody say once, a mentor, Mark Laberton, who wrote the foreword for the book, he said, we have to make sure that we preach from among the people and not from above the people. Mm-hmm. And so that has, that has always struck me. And I think that in scripture, the contrast there is Jonah mm-hmm. preaches above the city of Nineveh. Mm-hmm. Like literally he preaches to them and then he goes up on top of like this perch and waits for God to destroy the city. Like there's no, there's no empathy. There's no soul. There's no traveling or listening or engaging the people of Nineveh. He's just like, you're all going to die. And I hope it happens soon. You right. know, like, but that if you contrast that with Jeremiah, Jeremiah is somebody who has way less preaching results than Jonah had. Jonah saw an entire city like come to faith in like this miraculous revival. Jeremiah preaches for a lifetime and has like little to no results. That's why they called him the weeping prophet. Like if nobody responded to any of my messages, I would be sad too. Mm -hmm. But Jeremiah (laughs) doesn't leave the people. He doesn't reject the people. He stays in Jerusalem. He allows himself to be imprisoned in Jerusalem. He enters into the suffering of with the people of Jerusalem Mm -hmm. to be able to say, your story is my story and I'm not going to tell you anything that you need to hear that I don't also need to hear. Mm. Yeah. Very much like we're in this together. Let's go do this thing together. Right. Right. And I think one of the things that really gives us a lot of power is that everyone has a story. Everyone has scars. Everyone has wounds. And if we can be open about those things, we're going to, 
be able to impact people yeah. that out of our scars, out of our wounds, out of our messes, out of our mess ups, out of our hang ups, when Jesus gets into that stuff, that produces life for others. Right. And I think that, you know, pastors certainly should bring their wounds into into real life. Yeah. To bring healing because we can identify with those things and and just, you know, living in in real life. If you're not a pastor, just opening up your heart and the the th- the hard things you've gone through, I think that's where Jesus pours his power. Yeah, and I think that when we're living out our faith in community with with other trusted people, not only do we have things to give them, but we have things to receive from them. Mm-hmm. A few years ago, I got our church to to run in a marathon in Detroit to raise money for clean water in Kenya, and it had been kind of my job to be the inspirer and the chaplain and the pastor for all the runners. But as we were running the race, I think it was somewhere around mile seventeen and the east side of the Detroit, the wheels were falling off, and I was not doing well. And there were a couple of women from our team who recognized me, and they said, "Like, hey, Steve, we wrote out." Verses for every mile. Do you want to hear our verse for this mile? Mm-hmm. Wow! And their their verse was Isaiah forty one ten. It says, "Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, and I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand." And I thought that I was going to be the giver. Sure. And in my moment of need, they had something to give me. Yeah, that's. And beautiful. so, if we don't travel with people, not only can we serve, can we miss the opportunity to serve them when they struggle, but we miss the opportunity to receive when we do. You've got a chapter in your book about coaching others up, and we all need to be looking for people that we can coach up, that we can help, and we can pour into them. Yeah, I think that one of the kind of the, the baseline ideas of, of discipleship is that I can always have more impact through people that I multiply than I could ever have on my own. Mm. And so I think that sometimes for preachers, the temptation is to be able to say like, well, I'll be a great preacher for as long as I live. And then when I die, God will raise somebody else up as opposed to saying, no, I, I have this privilege that as long as God has given me influence in a platform, I can use that platform to help other people get great at what they mm. do. And I had a pastor in suburban Chicago growing up where he let me have the pulpit, albeit on a Sunday night for five minutes. So it was a, a low risk slot. But when I was 16 years old, I got a wow. chance to give a devotional thought to a congregation of six or 700 people. And he didn't have to do that. Yeah. But that was a way that he validated me and invested in my gifts and gave me an opportunity to stretch. And we see that time after time after time in scripture yeah. that that Samuel is only able to emerge as a prophet because Eli taught him how to hear the voice of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elijah gets a call from God to be able to say, hey, I want you to pass your mantle over to Elisha. So I think that wh- whether we're preaching or whether we're serving or whatever kind of ministry we're doing, God is God wants us to have eyes for people who are coming behind us, who have the aptitude and the capacity and the desire to serve and make sure that we invest in them, that we promote them, that we elevate them and we give them opportunities to, to thrive. I know in my own life, when people have planted <laughs> seeds of possibility, usually it's met with you know, like what? <laughs> That's crazy. But it's this seed that finds its way to, you know, and with a little bit of sunshine, a little bit of water, a little bit of care, like it's like, oh my goodness, there there are things for me that I would have never seen on my own if somebody hadn't encouraged me along the way. 
Right. And I think that when we do ministry as individuals, we're, we can we kind of only see the world the way that we can see it. But when we do ministry in teams, we do ministry in groups, we're complemented. We can, mm-hmm. we can feed off of each other's energies and benefit from one another's insights. One of the things I love about the story of Elijah and Elisha is it says that they, they were operating in a system where there were schools of prophets. So they would we'd go to different towns. There would be like 50 or 60 people who were all preaching the word of wow. God to the people of God in that town. But for us, we're like, no, there's one pastor in one church as opposed to, no, no, there there are teams of people who have been charged with proclaiming God's goodness to a group of people. And I think that only makes us better. And that's one way to include the next generation and to be able to pass, is to invite them into the team. Is that what you're saying? Right, right. And I think that because because we're preaching to different groups of people in different stages of life, it's really important that we have a plurality of voices. If we only ever hear content from one person with one life stage and one life experience, that person just by by virtue of the fact that they're a single person can only give their experience. Mm-hmm. But when we hear multiple voices in the pulpit, it allows us to experience the breadth and the depth yeah. and the beauty of the people of God. Yeah, that's so good. You know, this whole conversation about coaching, my son-in-law and my daughter just recently moved uh, to Australia and they're in a, a new context and where they're being led into leadership. And they went for the purpose of completing his master's program in this in the school that he's in. Um, and then they'd be back you know, in a year, maybe two years, they'd come back. But in the short time that they've been there, they've realized that they're in this whole area. There are older pastors that are coming upon retirement age and they don't have young pastors to replace them. And I think that they're starting to think that the call there might be longer than what they anticipated that because there is such a need for young pastors to step into the pastorate. Right. And I think that, Sadly, part of the reason that there is just such a, so many vacancies in churches is because there was a generation of preachers and pastors that didn't take this coaching others seriously. And now with a lot of boomers kind of retiring or maybe COVID was a, a nudge that some people use to kind of exit the pulpits, mm-hmm. we, there, there are many, many ministry gaps. And I think the way that we can avoid that going into the future is by, by passing the baton well before we have to. Mm-hmm. We are talking with Steve Norman of Winning at Home. Ben, Ben Fridsma is our brand new producer here at the station and, and we're mentoring Ben. And so Ben, my thought is, let's just give the rest of the show to you. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> yeah, that's probably, probably not the right way to go about it. But yeah, there's a right way to mentor people too. Yeah. I remember, you know, I worked at Sheboygan Lumber Company when I was in high school and we had this boss, the owner of Sheboygan Lumber was a yeller. And one evening it was my job to close all the garage doors, you know, that housed all the lumber and such, yeah. the windows. And and I went around this one night and, and these there was a pallet of windows underneath one of the doors and I foolishly just pulled it down to the level of the door and left it like that. You know, I didn't close the door. I didn't say, hey, we need a forklift over here to move it. Yeah. But the next day, man, he just, this this owner of Sheboygan Lumber Company, he just ripped me in front of everybody. Just, it was it was cruel. And, and conversely, I worked at Shepler's. It's a, you know, Shepler's ferry boat line to Mackinac Island one yeah. summer. And I was standing at the entrance. I was the greeter and, you know, I'm a college student and I've got my hands in my pocket and I'm kind of just looking mm-hmm. lazy there. 
And the owner of Shepler's, Bill Shepler, he stopped and he said, you know, Perry, you know, when, when we greet people, we, we really want to engage with them. So, you know, pull your hands out of your pockets and, you know, bring them up to your chest and kind of lean forward and, and smile and engage people. And there was no yelling. Mm. Yeah. It was just <laughs> great coaching. And I, I always think of those two examples in terms of how we should mentor. Mm, that's good. That's great. And I think that the, a lot of unhealthy leadership tries to lead through fear and shame, but healthy leadership leads through joy and vision. Mm-hmm. And I think that you had somebody paint a picture for what an ideal scenario looked like for you and you were able to receive it. Good stuff. Yeah. Seek out, seek out somebody to, to coach up and coach them up with grace and truth. Well, you're probably well aware that sometimes leaders, Christian leaders, pastors, and so on fall and fall big time. And when they fall, it reverberates big time. And so we want to step into this, not just tiptoe into this because it's real. It happens and, and maybe it's a barrier to you as you look at people in ministry, celebrity, I don't know, celebrity pastors or well-known pastors who've fallen and it just sort of makes you go, I don't know if I want anything to do with this. So it is important, you know, who we are. Sure. Our character is important. But, you know, we have, we had, you know, Robbie Zacharias. That was an incredible scandal. It's just horrifying stuff. And, you know, Bill Hybels of Willow Creek who fell. And, I mean, the list goes on. Yeah. And, you know, what can you say to the person who's, who's maybe kind of on the edge about the whole Jesus thing because of, because of leaders who failed. And, yeah. you know, you have the Catholic church scandal. I mean, we can't, we can't sh- throw these aside. No. Pretend that they're not real. No, they're very, they're very serious. And I feel, I feel like God is used it in my perspective. I believe that God is using this recent wave of scandals to call the church back to himself. Like I, th- I think it's in I, I think it's in Hebrews. You can somebody can correct me if I'm wrong. Where it says judgment must begin with the house of God, mm. and I think that sometimes we, as the American church, we've been really tempted to point out everything that is wrong in culture. And God said, "I, I culture is going to be culture. I want you to I want you to clean up your own house." Mm-hmm. So you so this for me, this is a wake up call to an entire generation of pastors to say there, but but for the grace of God, there go I. Mm-hmm. But to your point, Perry, and again, this is if I can be completely honest, this is wrong. Very true in our household. We've got a 16 year old who has seen more than most people about the dark underbelly of how churches work. And so how there can be conflict and drama and lack of character and maybe um, abuse or bullying. And she's really deeply disillusioned with the church. Mm -hmm. And so as parents, Kelly and I are trying to walk alongside her and say, just because the church is broken doesn't mean that the person and the message of Jesus mm-hmm. is broken. Yeah, and I had a dear friend say to me, he goes, Steve, just because the institution of the church can be really ugly doesn't mean that the people of God aren't really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so we've tried to call her back to that and be able to say, hey, buddy, um, you you have seen the worst of the church, but you've also seen the best of the people of God. So let's, let's hang on to that. And then let's ask ourselves this question. What role does God want us to play Mm -hmm. in, in the healing and the reclaiming of of a gospel that is honest and pure and good? Is that fair? It is. It is just on Sunday morning. um, Our worship leader, 
preached on Sunday morning and man, it was a phenomenal message, but he asked the question like how, if you just look at back at your last week, the last week of your life, how did you do it representing Jesus as an ambassador of Christ? Would you say that people saw you and thought, man, it was almost like being with Jesus. And it's like, that's challenging to every single one of us. Right. You know? And so when we look at, we have this conversation about pastors and their failing and the church and the failing and that sort of thing and how it can disillusion us to Jesus. Um, I think we need to be reminded, yes, there's a bar. Yes, there's a standard and it should be there, but also we're all not representing Jesus the way that we should be representing Jesus as we're pursuing him and trying our best. And yes, there needs to be accountability for our leaders and, and all of that, but God is still good. Yeah. And God is still at work. And I think sometimes we're tempted to throw the baby out with the bathwater and just say, you know what? You know, like, yeah, I'm not sure about this whole Jesus thing because I keep seeing Jesus followers fail. Or, you know, I don't know that I can learn anything from Ravi Zacharias or Bill Hybels because their ministry fails. They were proclaiming the gospel and the gospel is good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I guess for me, how I work it through is that I'm capable of anything sure. wrong. You know, there's darkness in my heart. And if I sit up here and say, I would never do that, you know, that's just not true. And it's, so it's a wake up call for me, yeah. you know, to, to be vigilant because I could fall in any way, shape or form. And then the other part of it for me is how can I, How can I help the Christian leaders in my life? How can I help them? How can I help them be accountable? Right. What can I do to help them navigate life so that they don't fall? Can I say a hard word? Can I step up and, and, and say something, you know, one-on-one, do I have the courage, you know, to, to say, Hey, how you doing? How you really doing? You know? And, and I think that's, that's the other way I look at it. it. It's on us as God's people to hold ourselves accountable, to keep short accounts, you know, between ourselves and the Lord. And I think it's on us to hold our leaders accountable. Absolutely. And I think that the, the one final thought that I have here is that if the church can repent of something, it should be repenting of enabling a celebrity culture. Hmm. Because I think that there's been something about Christians that, that like to have little idols. They like to have rock stars. They like to have great authors and great speakers. And for us to be able to say, Lord, to the extent that I put my confidence in a talented human, rather than putting my confidence in you, I repent and I need you to forgive me. Well, I don't know about you, but there are moments that I'm called upon to share a word, to share some encouragement, and I haven't prepared, and you have to figure out, what am I going to do in this moment? So talk about that, Steve. There are times when we we don't get a chance to prepare, Mm -hmm. and we got to bring something. Right. Got to bring something good. Right. And I, and what I, what I love about this is that Jesus told his disciples, Hey, that this is going to be part of the equation. He's like, there, there will be times in your future where you're going to get arrested. You're going to be brought before the authorities Mm -hmm. and you're going to have a chance to testify to the wonder of the gospel and the power of the resurrection before those people. And if I was one of the disciples, I would have been shaking in my boots to be able to say like, all right, Lord, if you know, those moments are coming, can you give us a script? (laughs) Can you, can you give us some talking points? You know, Mm -hmm. is there a PR person you can put us in touch with? And Jesus says like, no, I don't, I don't want you to worry about what to say. The Holy Spirit will give you what you need in 
that moment. Uh, yesterday, I was reading in my personal devotions in, in Revelation chapter two, and John says that when he was on the Isle of Patmos, he's like, and I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, mm-hmm. like to be able to say like, hey, there is this, there is this rhythm, there's this pattern, there's this habit of just my life being fully surrendered, not because I'm psyching up for a big ministry moment, but just because it's Tuesday. Like right. every day is a good day to be open and available. Every day is a good day to have the the deck of my heart washed and cleansed and clean mm-hmm. because we, we never we never know when there's going to be a divine moment or a divine opportunity for us to step up to the plate and give a word of encouragement or a word of correction or a word of gentle rebuke. Mm-hmm. Um, are, are, is our, our spirits ready to step into those moments if that's what God has for us yeah. today? That's so good. I recently had to get some new glasses and I was getting fitted for them and the gal was not feeling well who was helping me. My first thought when I approached the counter and they said, we don't feel good, so we'll be with you in a minute, but we're not at our best was, Lord Jesus, keep me healthy. (laughs) That was my first prayer. (laughs) But then I thought, you know, oh, here's an opportunity. They're not feeling well. Like maybe there's an opportunity for me to pray for them and to encourage them in some way or to express your love to them. Maybe your power. I don't know what you want to do, but you know, I'm open to what you want to do. But a phone through the whole thing with the Lord, you know, not in front of the person in front of me, but just internally never got there, you know, never got there, walked away, prayed for her, but, but didn't say anything to her about the fact that I was going to pray for her. And, you know, so these moments show up when we don't expect them to, we're just doing life. You're just getting your glasses fitted, whatever the case may be. And you get this moment to represent Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, so we want to be ready to step into those moments. Don't don't pull a Shauna and walk away not having addressed it. No, and it, I think I think it's okay and human and natural to sometimes get flustered and overwhelmed in those moments. And I and I think that may, maybe not every single moment will be a moment where you stand up and declare the power of God to a, like a, an intersection full of strangers and have right. them all fall on their knees and respond <laughs> to the gospel. That that can happen, but usually that hasn't been my experience. But I think what I was trying to say in the book is like, what would happen if we lived our lives believing that any day could be a day where God would open up a door for ministry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a chance to to go to a couple of funerals this summer. One was really unexpected. My my first cousin lost her husband to a heart attack. And then I lost my one of my mentors, Coach Karwaski in Sheboygan. And so I had a chance to to talk and actually to sing at one of them. And I I, I felt the Lord saying don't prepare. Don't prepare. I'm a preparer, you know, but what I can fall into as a preparer is like, I want to do this really, really right. And I want to make a good impression. And I just felt like I need to not prepare. There's a lot of thoughts going around in my head. It's not like I don't have anything to say, but there are things I really want to say sincerely and not, not in a real measured and prepared way i want to say it from my heart yeah and so it was like it was like jumping off the deep end and just putting myself out there and letting myself be vulnerable to not being perfect so that i could be jesus mouthpiece and i tell you what i i kind of like it yeah. after doing it twice the first time i like i got done and i i kind of you know got off the stage as fast as I could. I wanted to go into a corner and just hide. The second time I did it, it was like, oh, this is really life-giving to just really speak from your heart. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that there, there is this, this picture that I try to keep in my mind of like riding with the spirit, like, like a wave or like, or like a kite catching a breeze mm-hmm. to be able to say that there is an effortlessness mm. in, in just following God's lead in, in the moment where that's time to happen. And sometimes that there is nerves. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it requires an extra measure of courage. But the good news is if there's a gift that God wants to give through you in the moment, God is going to give you the words and the tone uh, to say it. I work at Winning at Home, so we exist to help people take the next steps in their journey towards mental and spiritual wholeness. Mm -hmm. And this book was really written as just an encouragement for the soul care of pastors. Mm -hmm. Because one of the things I was trying to remind pastors of is we care about preaching, we value preaching, but all of our preaching comes through a human vessel. Mm -hmm. And so we can't, we're not supposed to change the text and we can't change God and we can call people to change, but we can't change people. So the only variable in the preaching equation that we have a lot of 100% leverage over is us, the preacher, the messenger, the model. Mm -hmm. And so this book was trying to say like, how do you live the kind of life that gives birth to compelling preaching? Mm. So good. Yeah, because, the, you know, when people know who you are, that you're a communicator, that you're a preacher, that you're a pastor, your life is speaking in the moments, not just on the platform. Yeah. Yeah. I remember when, my, so I'm the fifth of six kids. And whenever my older sister really wanted to get under my skin, she would always say like, how can you treat me that way? You're supposed to be a pastor. And like, in some ways it was a little bit of a low blow, but at the same time she was right. Like there, there is a high bar, not just for pastors, but for all, for all of us. I mean, Jesus says, I want you to be holy as I am holy. So there's, there's a high bar that comes with a surrendered, faithful and obedient life. But James does say that that bar is higher for teachers. Mm-hmm. And so it really is important for us as communicators of the word to live the kind of life that is credible, that is compelling, and that's anointed by the Holy Spirit. It's a little bit different than what culture is telling us today, isn't it? Because, I mean, you do hear the message of, you know what, you got to understand that your pastor is just a person, that they're going to, you know, I'm going to fail you. I had a pastor who always said, I'm the biggest bozo on the bus. And I was like, well, then why would I want to follow you? (laughs) You know what I mean? If that's really true, like you, you know, you want to be able to, I guess what I'm bringing up is, the difference between everybody's human and yeah, that we're going to, you know, the pastor's going to fail and that sort of thing and holding on to the integrity of, yes, you have this high calling. Right. And I love how you frame that, Shauna, because it's one thing to say everybody's going to fail. So that's an excuse to fail. But Paul says, if grace abounds, is that an excuse to mm-hmm. sin? Like, he's like, absolutely not. He's like, if we sin, there's grace for us. But but first John says, if we walk in the light and we walk in love, we don't we don't have to sin. So the part part of the book is saying like, hey, let's let's live the kind of lives that the grace of God and the power of the spirit equip us to live so that we can call people with confidence and joy mm-hmm. um, to a life that is wholly devoted. And then there's another side of it, though, too, where, you know, the the leader, the pastor, let's say, leads from a place of non-vulnerability. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I don't ever struggle. Right. I don't ever fail. And the people who've made the greatest impact in my life, whether they're pastors or mentors or what have you, are people who've said, man, I'm really struggling with this. Yeah. And it's just really compelled me to to want to move forward in my faith, not backwards. Right. When when I hear, you know, like Rod at Crossroads Bible Church, he was preaching on the Sabbath and being too busy. And he before he even started his message, he said, you know what, you guys, this message is more for me than yeah. you guys. Yeah. 
and he's a, he's a super busy guy. And I can relate with that because I'm a busy guy. Sure. And that message freed me up to realize I can't do everything. I got to say no to some things. Mm-hmm. And so for a, a leader to say, you know what, I, I have feet of clay, I think is really, really important in the whole conversation of integrity. Absolutely. I, I could not agree with you more, Perry. And I think that one of the things that I've learned in, over the kind of three decades of ministry that I've been a part of is that God always preaches a message to the preacher before God preaches a message mm. through the preacher. Mm. And the the preacher ignores the message that is being preached to him or her before they preach it to somebody else at their peril. And so mm. I think it's just really important for us to be able to say one of the chapters in the book talks about the preacher or the pastor as a fellow traveler. Like yeah. I'm on the road with you. I haven't reached the destination and I'm yelling instructions back to you. Like we're, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You've got a chapter in this book, Steve, on the preacher as listener, as as someone who needs to be coached up. And and of course, this applies to preachers, but it applies to every single follower of Jesus being, you know, in the ministry. We all, we all have our ministry sphere. But yeah, so talk about this need to be coached up. I think it really is important for preachers to be able to get feedback and input from the people around them. And I recently finished reading Eugene Peterson's biography. It's called The Burning in My Bones. Mm-hmm. And when Eugene Peterson was in seminary, he was being mentored by a very well-known preacher in New York at that time. And he said that one of the things that so blew him away is the preacher, for every hour the preacher would spend in the study with the text, he spent in people's homes on visitation. So as he was thinking about what to say, he was also listening to people's lives and listening to their needs and listening to their situations because he was saying, if I'm going to talk to them, I want to talk to them where they are. And I thought that was really important because I think that sometimes our temptation is to be able to say like, I got to figure out all the answers and then I'll just run around and yell answers rather than what, what do I need to know about my life or about the text or about the people that I'm talking to? It sounds a lot like the way Jesus spoke. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Understanding his context and saying, okay, I'm going to talk about fields. Okay, I'm going to talk about sheep. You know what I mean? It was like there was a, he spoke in a way that was like, oh, this means something to my life that people leaned in to listen to what he had to say. And Jesus led with a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. Like, who do you say that I am? Or what What do you think that the text says? Mm-hmm. And so Jesus was listening as he was speaking. I think mm-hmm. that's so important for us in any walk of life, but especially for pastors and preachers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So being being a listener, being coachable, being teachable, I find myself often I'll get defensive you know, when somebody wants to teach me something, coach me up. And so there's a need for humility. And I think of Steph Curry. You know who Steph Curry is? Sure, yeah. The greatest shooter God ever created. You know, Steph Curry has a coach, a shooting coach, a conditioning coach. His name is Brandon Payne. And Brandon Payne says, it's tough when you have to tell the greatest shooter that's ever lived that something's not good enough. Mm. And Steph Curry is willing to accept that advice. There's this workout they do. Steph has to shoot 30 straight shots and make them. He has to make 30 shots in three to four minutes. And if he doesn't make 30 shots in three to four minutes, he has to do it over again. Wow. So, you know, if Steph Curry needs a coach, the greatest shooter in all the world, you know, I need a coach. I need a mentor. I mean, some of the best actors, 
in Hollywood. They have coaches, you know, and, and we resist this whole idea of, of being coached. Yeah. I love the idea of being coached, but my question is, how do you make that connection? Like if you, if you desire to grow and you desire to be mentored, how do you make the connection to find the mentee? Or do I have that backwards? The mentor? Yeah, yeah. the mentor. Uh, yeah, I think so much of it, it, at least in my life, is A, knowing what skill needs work, and then B, praying for God to bring those people mm-hmm. along. Sometimes when I haven't been able to find those people, I've had other wise mentors say, sometimes your best mentors are historical mentors. So sometimes it's reading yeah. a biography of a pastor or a missionary or mm-hmm. an activist, somebody who's lived out the values that you're most passionate about. Like that's a way to learn there. Yeah. So for me, reading the stories of Jim Elliott and Amy Carmichael and Dwight Moody and Charles Spurgeon, and like sometimes you go back a couple hundred years mm-hmm. and you find that you're, you get some input that you are lacking. Yeah. But for me, I think that it's whatever area of ministry that you want to excel in, if God has called you to steward that gift for a lifetime, it is incumbent on you to find somebody mm-hmm. who does it as well as or slightly better than you to, and submit to their wisdom and their leadership. My yeah. wife's a nurse and every year in order for her to keep her license and her credentials, she has to take continuing education courses. And most pastors that I know, they took a preaching class in seminary and then they never got any tune up ever after that. And so yeah. part of what I was hoping to do with the book and some opportunities that are open up are the opportunities to coach and mentor preachers. Yeah. So being teachable, I hear we need to be teachable, but to take the the initiative in, yeah. in looking for the help that we need, you know, to be humble enough to say, hey, I need help. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I recently had the opportunity to sit under somebody's teaching and I just kept sensing frustration, frustration, frustration. At some point, I remember just saying in my own head to myself, like, you know, stop yelling at me. <laughs> it's just, you could tell this guy was just so They were frustrated with life or they were frustrated with you or frustrated with the church. It was a preaching context. So he was speaking to a broad number of people. So, gotcha. you know, I would, I would definitely fall towards thinking he must be frustrated at me, but it couldn't have been that in the moment. You know what I mean? Cause he was talking to, um, you know, a couple hundred people, whatever the case may be. Yeah. But yeah, I just sense this real frustration in him. And I'm like, oh, Lord, what's going on in his heart that he's so frustrated right now that that preaching is not bringing him any joy whatsoever? Right. And I think a lot of times we tend to display the behaviors that have been modeled for us. So if Hmm. you grew up in an environment where the preaching was loud or the preaching was angry or the preaching was shame oriented, if that's the only language that you know, then that will be the language that you speak. But when I was researching for the book, one of the things that I loved was this verse in the book of of Mark where it talks about Jesus was preaching in Jerusalem. And it says that as he spoke, this is Mark 12, 37, it says the crowd listened to him with delight. And I had never, I had never seen that before, that Jesus is speaking in a, in a very serious and holy context, the temple courts of Jerusalem. There wasn't, in that culture, there wasn't any place that you could literally get closer to the presence of mm-hmm. God. So you would like to think that that would have been a, like a somber moment or an mm-hmm. intense moment or a quiet moment. But it says that the result of Jesus breaking down the text is that the people were filled with joy. And so one of the questions that I try to ask is like, why, why is that missing in so much of our preaching? Like, why did we sometimes get tempted into thinking that preaching always has to result in solemnity or Mm -hmm. seriousness or angst? And it could be that a lot of the 
pictures that I saw growing up of really famous preachers, whether they be Spurgeon or Moody or other people, is that all of them were very straight faced and that no, nobody looked like they were smiling because yeah. preaching is serious business. Mm-hmm. But when I look at I, when I look at this text, I can see like I can almost hear the light in Jesus eyes mm-hmm. and, and, the, and the joy and the forward leaning nature that the audience had to have had in that moment. So one of the questions that I was asking is what what is blocking our joy in preaching? What is blocking our joy in life? Mm. And how do we how do we root that out so that joy can flow freely both in us and through us? I love the series The Chosen. I think we've all watched a bit of it, but you know the the actor who plays Jesus, Jonathan Romy, just brings that. Yeah. He brings a joy. I think he really nails nails the part of Jesus. I think the Holy Spirit's definitely helping him with that, but he definitely brings that. This is a guy I would have wanted to just hang on every word and follow him wherever and just listen to everything he has to say because there's just this winsomeness about yeah. how he plays Jesus and and it really makes me think that's that's really how Jesus must have been. There was a attractiveness to mm-hmm. the way he did all of life, his miracles, his teachings, you know, the way he interacted with his guys. It was just a joy to be around him. Yeah. So good. And I think one of the things that I've discerned, and this isn't just true for preachers, this is true for everybody. I think three kind of joy killers that we talk about in the book are fatigue, resentment, and grief. Mm, That's good. That if we're always tired, there's not joy. And if there's unresolved anger or unforgiveness, Mm -hmm. then that's also a block for joy. And then there are seasons where we experience deep sadness. And I think that sometimes I try to accelerate through grief and that's, that's not biblical and it's not God honoring and it's not, it's not fair Mm -hmm. um, to me or the process or the loss that I'm trying to walk through. So it's okay to be able to say, Hey, there will be seasons of sadness, Mm -hmm. but joy does come in the morning if, Mm -hmm. if we trust God to be faithful to us. Thanks for listening to Perry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930.